Good morning, good evening, or good night. My name is Angelica Dickerson, and you're listening to the third episode of the In the Interim podcast. So today's essay is an interesting one, and unlike the other ones that I've released on this blog, you guys are actually not the first to see it. I wrote this essay in 2018 during my senior year at Clemson, and the first people to read it were actually um, my class, my queer literature class. This essay is really candid about a childhood porn addiction and some mental health issues that I had when I was growing up. And my queer literature class responded in a way that was incredibly helpful, incredibly constructive, and incredibly non-judgmental. To be honest, what else did I expect? But it was such a revelation to be able to share this essay, and so I'm really happy to be able to do this with you all today. Actually, after I shared this essay with my queer literature class, I remember my professor pulled me aside after the class was over, and he said, have you ever thought about applying to a nonfiction MFA program? And I was like, no, I don't write nonfiction. I only write like fiction mostly. And he was like, no, no, no. Like you definitely need to think more about this because you wrote this essay in a really short amount of time and it's great, which was news to me. But I think that he is one of the reasons why we have in the interim now. And so I do want to thank him. I don't remember his name, which is such a shame because he was great. Whoever you are, Professor, I really appreciate you saying that to me and kind of putting me on this path to believe that I can write nonfiction in a way that is hopefully entertaining and irreverent. That said, without further ado, here is a reading of the essay, The Search, S-E-X, Horseflies, and Other Obsessions. In 2009, we still had computer rooms, entire spaces dedicated to housing a family's computer. In the future, when anthropologists study the homes of early 21st century families, they will think we worshipped computers. And since these items are also found in computer rooms, CPUs, printers, tax returns, bank statements, old bills, shredded paper, our reverence was such, future anthropologists will say, we shut ourselves behind closed doors, in order to commune with our deities in private. They will think we worshipped computers, and by extension, what we saw on those screens. I am thankful for the slow evolution of technology and limitations on storing data. Otherwise, future anthropologists might look back and say, I worshipped Pamela Anderson's breasts. Google search. Pamela Anderson. Naked butts. Stories about coming. Real-life sex stories. Naked Selena Gomez, Dick in Pussy, Kim K. Tape, Kendra Wilkinson Tape, Orgasm. What is organism? Imagine your mother. No, too impersonal. Imagine you're my mother. You log onto your account on your family's computer, navigate to Google, click the search bar, and watch as the history log drops down. My goodness. It seems one of your children has been logging onto your account to circumvent the parental restrictions on their own and searching for porn. What will you do? A. Pretend you didn't see anything. B. Say nothing. It's perfectly natural. 
C. Talk to each of your children separately and inquire about the matter. D. Gather your children. Let your silence ripen their discomfort. Threaten to tell their father if they don't start talking. Who do you think it was? I ask. My sister shrugs. I'm scared, I say. My hands are sweating, shaking. Don't worry, she says. It was probably one of the boys. Even then, I wondered how she could have missed the signs of my obvious distress. Pungent as I was with guilt, couldn't she smell me? I think I wanted her to suspect me. If only to lend some plausibility to the reality of the situation. If only to confirm there was some possibility, however remote, that I could have been the one looking up naked bodies on the internet. But there was no possibility of that. None. When I was eight... S.E.X. by Life Jennings used to come on the radio all the time. Girl, it's just your S.E.X. Mama's secret. And daddy gonna go crazy when he finds out that his babies found her S.E.X. Take a deep breath and think before you let it go. Most kids don't know what sex is. They only know it's taboo. Taboo being the oft-pleasant combination of titillation coupled with shame. So when they want to express ideations about what they believe sex to be, but cannot bring themselves to say the word outright, they spell it. I couldn't tell you what a penis looked like, or where it was supposed to go, or what it was supposed to do. It's likely I was still referring to vaginas as PewDiePies then, but my sister and I sang it. S-E-X. We sang it all the time. I learned what sex was the summer after sixth grade. I was 12 years old, playing an online video game. A very boring online video game. The premise was simple. Play as a young man who's recently moved to a new town and is looking for love. The game consisted of working daily shifts for money to buy various girls gifts, exercising for strength points to attract various girls, reading for intellectual points meant to attract various girls, and sleeping so you could do it all over again the next day. The game, in its entirety, was a total of 60 days. It must have taken me two hours to complete, and in that time I succeeded in wooing, or seducing, as I now understand the point of the game to be, absolutely no one. When I reached the end of the game, I was redirected to a credits page, the background of which was a drawing of what I now know to be sexual intercourse. The leap from not knowing to knowing is a small one. It is often taken unwittingly. Though it be a minor gap, the quickest, shortest of leaps, one cannot turn back. There is only more knowing, never unknowing. As most know from YouTube's recommended list, websites make it easy to spiral downward into a vortex of semi-related content with only a few clicks of one's mouse. The game's credit page had a link. This led me to another website with a link. This led me to another website with a link. This led me to another website with a link. And so on and so on. And that's what a penis looks like. Huh. Are balls called balls because they look like balls? That makes sense. I wasn't just pragmatically shocked. I also remember being, and I hate to use this word, but it is apt, feverish. Feverish having or showing symptoms of a fever, and displaying a frenetic excitement or energy. 
I embodied the word in its entirety. For a 12-year-old Christian black girl living in the suburbs, this was like touching hell. Just for a moment. Just with the tips of my fingers. Just one more link. When I was 12, I was addicted to porn. I hesitate to come right out and say this, because addicted is a strong word. That said, I'll never refer to my state of mind during that time as anything but an addiction. Let me tell you why. Addiction isn't about the substance. You aren't addicted to the substance. You are addicted to the alteration in mood the substance brings. Susan Cheever It was an addiction because... I began to need pornography to make me feel alive. I began to fear the secret and its exposure. I craved the blood rush, but when it was gone, I felt disgusted. I couldn't read or hear the word come for an entire year without replacing it with come in my head. It became a reflex. I thought about sex all the time. It became a reflex. I kept secrets. It became a reflex. I cut myself off from my friends. It became a reflex. When the porn wasn't making me hot, I felt cold, immeasurably cold. Even though I wanted to, I couldn't stop. In SEX, Life Jennings sings, Can't quite put your finger on it, but you're feeling strange, like it's fire in your veins. Girl, it's just your SEX. If Life Jennings sang about it, then it can't be wrong. However, I didn't know that then. My brother and sister sat on the couch, the spectators. My mama sat in the swivel chair, the interrogator. I sat in the metal fold-out chair, the criminal. I watched silently as mama went back and forth with my brother. I believe I might have dug my nails into my palm. My sister seemed, as she always did, annoyed to be there. My brother grew mad at the implication, at the suspicion. When Mama threatened to tell Daddy, I knew my time had come. There was no escaping the reckoning. I think I know who did it, I said, much too low to be heard. I'd meant to say it louder, but you know how throats can be. They all turned to look at me. What? Mama asked. I tried to look apologetic. Like I was sorry to be the snitch giving up her fellow man, but I couldn't see any way out of it. I think I know who did it, I said. I'll tell you. In private. My plan was simple. Minimize damage. I could face the shame of admitting to my mother I'd hacked onto her account to search for porn and been stupid enough to forget to clear the search history, but not in front of my siblings. I used to masturbate and cry. I remember thinking to myself once, I'm giving myself scars. At 12 years old, I worried I was making myself into damaged goods, that I would end up like the girls on television with daddy issues, or perhaps I wouldn't be able to have sex as an adult at all, because I'd use my clit too much as a kid. I thought about whether innocence was something that, once gone, couldn't be gotten back. My brother and sister would not be leaving. If I had something to say, I could say it, and they would hear. It was me, I said. Mama cleared the room, finally. I sat directly in front of her. She looked me in the eyes and asked, Has someone touched you? No, I was crying. 
Did one of your friends tell you to look up these things? Tell you where to go, what websites? No, no, I said. She was quiet for a long time. In the silence, we listened to the muffled shouting of my brother and sister. My brother said from somewhere far away, No, that's weird. What is she, a lesbian or something? Ironically, my sister ended up being the lesbian, although this revealed itself much later. I can't remember our conversation exactly as it occurred, but I remember my mother asking me how often I used the computer to search for these things. I might have lied, tried to downplay the severity of my predilection. She asked me if I ever touched myself. I know I lied. When the interrogation was over, I was covered in sweat. Will you tell Daddy? I asked. No, she said. As I left the computer room, my brother and sister exited the guest bedroom. My brother ran right up the stairs. My sister came and put a hand on my shoulder and, more kind to me than she had been in months, said, It's not a big deal. We've all done it. I must point out how few words it takes to make someone feel good about themselves. This was one of the most painful days of my life, but I went to sleep feeling free for the first time in a year. Now would be a good time to wrap this story up, wouldn't it? To say, I was outed, and after that, I didn't feel ashamed anymore, I didn't have a secret to keep anymore, I went right back to being a bright, bubbly kid and learned the valuable lesson of embracing my sexuality and yada yada yada. I wish I could say that, but that's not what happened. Damage had, in fact, been done. I had come to view my sexuality as a weakness, as something slippery and dark which was always trying to bring about my fall, as something to be resisted. I had come to view myself as defective because I couldn't say no. I'd been found out, but I hadn't told my mother the complete truth. Sometimes she'd ask, Have you? And I'd admit, sometimes, but not as much as before, and that would be a lie. Each night I'd devolved into a shame spiral, into a vortex of my own thoughts. This time taught me the power and the fallibility of my own mind. One thought could split into thirteen, then thirty-seven, each contradictory, each derogatory, until I was held hostage by the words in my brain. I was not in control, but merely along for the ride. Words usually come after experience, if they come at all. The word depression didn't drop into my head until I was fifteen and coming out of it. We just called it the dark time. When my mother speaks of the dark time, she questions how it was she never took me to see a doctor. Not in the sense of, she wishes she would have taken me to see a doctor, but in the sense of, how was it some obscure, basic motherly instinct had not kicked in and made the decision for her? She remembers the dark time even more vividly than I do. She tells me it was bad. She tells me she tried her best. I was trapped. I was in pain, I was losing my mind, I was addicted to porn. There was a horsefly in the window blinds. One summer, perhaps the summer after seventh grade, there were horseflies in all the window blinds. I don't know how they got there, but they were so loud. I was, at this point in time, pathologically afraid of insects. 
I would walk home from the bus stop and stand in the street because I couldn't walk past the bushes at the bottom of the porch, which I believed to be harboring wasps. I would work myself into a frenzy over the thought. I once cried in the middle of the street until the old man who lived across from us, in the house with the American flag, came out and asked if I was okay. I think he thought someone had broken into our house and I was afraid to go inside. I told him I was just afraid to walk past the bushes and would wait for someone to come home and escort me. He said I could come inside his house and have some tea. I declined. He said I could sit on his porch in the shade. I told him I might, but once he went back inside, I stayed standing there. It must have been 97 degrees, but I stayed standing there, crying because of imaginary wasps. This particular day, I'd put aside my fear, donned a pair of oven mitts, grabbed a swatter, and went to work slapping each of those flies into oblivion. I couldn't take their incessant droning, so I killed them, one by one, until there was only one left, the one I couldn't find. I shook my mother awake at 3 a.m. What? What is it? She said. It's in the blinds. I can't get it. I can hear it, but I can't get it. I was sleeping in the guest bedroom then. It was much cooler there at night than it was upstairs, and I could watch porn on my iPad without worrying about waking up my sister. My mother followed me into the guest bedroom. I sat on the bed, watching as she drew the blinds as far up as they would go, and peered behind them. She couldn't see anything. Thirty minutes went by. She couldn't hear anything. I hear it, Mama. I hear it buzzing. It was a strange buzz, too. Not like a bee or even a regular fly, but like like the small beads shaking inside a maraca. It was terrible. I gripped my head. I cried. Still, she couldn't find the fly. Around four, she gave me a set of earplugs and said, it's time to go to sleep. We'll find it in the morning. It'll be okay. I put the earplugs in. I can still hear it, I said. She told me to put a song on repeat. I chose The Light by the album Leaf. She tucked me in. I was 13, and she thought I was losing my mind. In the morning, when I awoke, the first thing I did after taking out my earplugs was pull up the blinds. Sure enough, one last horsefly buzzed happily against the window pane. Sure enough, I killed it. I remember being especially down one day. This might have been in eighth grade, during the school year. Pornography and masturbation had lost their special appeal. I still couldn't go without them, but they were a perfunctory matter, like eating when you're hungry or bathing once you've begun to smell, although with the added zest of immense shame. Without porn as a pick-me-up, I was coasting low. Mama called around six to say she was coming home with groceries and I should be prepared to help take them out of the car and put them away. I don't know how, but the conversation turned into a stern lecture. This was one of those moments when you can't believe life is piling one more brick on your back. I remember placing the phone on my bed and making a concerted effort to catch my breath, but I couldn't. I was crying viciously, as one does with the intent of using one's own pain to hurt themselves. I don't remember how we ended the phone call, but I remember appearing fine once she arrived home. I helped her put away the groceries, then took a seat at the bar. I opened the door to my pain once again, just to take a peek, and it all came flooding out. 
What's wrong? My God, what is it? Mama asked. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't. I went on like this for some time. I don't know eventually stopped being a denial or a dismissal or even a pitiful admission. It became its own language. I was speaking. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what to tell you or how. I don't know what to do or say. I don't know how to make this stop. She doesn't know how to explain herself. I know the air is inside of me. She calls herself an error. I don't know what I feel anymore, etc. Clarice Lispector. I remember the precise moment I chose this path. I'd typed Pamela Anderson into Google, and I knew this initial step would lead me, eventually, to a cache of photographs depicting Pamela Anderson and her anatomically, artificially perfect breasts. I heard a disembodied voice in the way of hearing which does not involve ears, say to me, if you click search, you will be choosing a path. You will not be able to leave this path until it has been completed. Are you sure? Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Those weren't the exact words. If I'm being honest, the message came more in feelings. Like I said, words come after experience. Regardless, I knew I was choosing. I pressed search. I walked a shitty path for years, and just like the voice said, there were no shortcuts. In the beginning, I thought, six months from now, I'll be different. I'll have stopped. A year in, I thought, a year from now, I'll be different. I'll have stopped. Two years in, I thought, six years from now, I'll be a different person. Surely I'll have stopped by then. Eight years since the very first time, and I haven't stopped looking at porn. Thank God. I was 15. I remember slamming a car door shut and looking up to find my oldest brother, smiling. You still addicted to porn, sis? He asked, laughing, poking fun at me as older brothers do. I hadn't known he'd known, and I'd never heard anyone refer to it this way, both as an addiction and something to be laughed about. No, I said, that was a long time ago. I'm sure this wasn't his intention, but... My brother had given me two invaluable tools with which to shape my experience. The word addiction and mirth. Something insidious had taken hold of my life once upon a time, and I had suffered greatly within its grip. But the insidious thing wasn't curiosity or erotic pleasure or lewd images on a two-by-four-inch screen. It was the lack of choice I felt each night when I laid down to sleep. It was the compulsion. It was the shame spiral and the lack of transparency and my utter inability to communicate my struggle with those who loved me the most. It was the layers of mystique surrounding sex and a lack of proper education concerning hormonal shifts during puberty. It was the cherubic image I'd acquired during childhood which I feared would come crashing down if anyone ever found out. It was the dissonance of my perceived self and the woman I was becoming. It was my mistaking the feverish feeling for the fires of hell. It was naivete. Innocence. A word associated with purity and virginity. Derived from the Latin word nocer, meaning to harm. 
in meaning not. Innocence therefore means harmless, blameless, not guilty. I live free of guilt now. I have no idea how I came to be here, guiltless, and I cannot tell anyone else the way. Countless years of grief are strewn behind me like hunks of rubber tire on the road. I walk onward, with my truth and all I've endured carried in my hands, but my steps are light. I walk with the careless jaunt of the innocent, and I am laughing all the while. If you have made it this far, what a journey we have been on together. Thank you so much for listening. This was the third episode of the In the Interim podcast. And if you'd like to listen to further episodes, you can subscribe to the newsletter at intotheinterim.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at In the Interim Blog or on Twitter at IT in Terry. Um, this podcast is currently not on any streaming services, but hopefully very soon it will be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Alrighty, signing out. See you guys next time.